Well, friends, I want to do a little um, entrusting right now, okay? Some entrusting. That's the name of the sermon, right? Entrusted. And if I could have Pastor Hank help me here, if you could stand, Pastor Hank, and I'm going to entrust this $5 bill to you. I'm going to entrust it to you, and your task with that $5 bill is to find someone, a male, in their 30s or 40s. So all the males in their 30s and 40s, raise their hand. Are there a few here? Males of 30 and 40. We have some elderly males <laughs> raising their hand. If you could just entrust that $5 to a person in their 30s or 40s. Thirties and forties. And Joel Gritter, if you would now entrust that um, five dollar bill to any lady of the church, okay, any lady of the church. Pastor Hank, you're finished. You can go sit down again. <laughs> any lady of the church. Do we need the ladies to have to raise their hands? Right. And now, so if, if you could entrust that $5 bill to, let's say, someone who, a, a, a girl of the church who's 10 or younger, okay? So girls of the church who are 10 and younger, if you'd raise your hand, okay, she wants to entrust this $5 bill to someone who is 10 or younger. Oh, Terry. Okay. Now, can you entrust that $5 bill to a deacon of the church, okay, to a deacon of the church. So will all the deacons of the church raise their hands so that she can see who is a deacon of the church. And you can pick anybody, okay? All right. Stand up. Thank you. And now, Jason, if you will entrust that $5 bill to Taryn, to the person who just gave you that. He's entrusting that $5 to you. Okay? Thanks, Jason. And you may have that $5. Okay? <laughs> Beloved in Christ, just like that $5 bill, there is a lot of entrusting going on when it comes to God. And that filters down to God's people, the church. And we want to take a look at that entrusting today. For it ties in very well to what we did earlier in the service when we witnessed these elders and deacons being ordained or installed into the respective offices, entrusted with authority. So this entrusting we've been talking about and now demonstrating just a moment ago, this entrusting is relevant to us today and what we witnessed. You know that. So where does this entrusting begin? Well, it begins with God, doesn't it? God owns everything, has all authority, is overall. So if there is going to be entrusting going on, it ought to start with God, and it does. Turn with me, if you would. We're going to look at a number of passages to Ephesians chapter 1, page 1664, 1664, Ephesians chapter 1. 
page 1664. And we're going to look at verse one, or verse, or chapter one, verse three. Chapter one, verse three. And you see there, of course, that begins with this beautiful doxology, that praise language. Verse three goes like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him, in Christ, that is, before the foundation or the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now pay attention to these next words. The entrusting by God begins with God's love. He entrusts in love. He entrusts those he loves. And so we read just before verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, that's the Son of God, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one, capital O, that's talking about Jesus, in the one he loves. So God the Father, in other words, is entrusting the one he loves, his own son, Jesus Christ, with something. What is it? Well, the whole passage, even though the word is not even mentioned there, when you read it, you realize exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about the church. Those God has chosen those he has predestined, those he has adopted, those he has shown grace to. And the passage goes on to say, actually, it's also those who have been redeemed and who have had their sins forgiven. That is the church, dear friends. God the Father entrusted the church to his own son, Jesus, whom he loves. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, later at verse 22, we read that God placed all things under his feet. Whose feet? Jesus' feet. And appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. So God the Father has entrusted the church to God the Son. The entrusting starts there with God the Father, but the entrusting does not end there. God the Father entrusts the church to God the Son, whom he loves, puts him in charge of everything for the church, shows love to the church by having his son die on the cross for the church, entrusts that incredible sacrifice to him. But now follow what happens next. God the Father raises God the Son from the dead after he dies on the cross. Forty days later, God the Son ascends into heaven. But what did he say again before he ascended? Now, turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, page 1549. 1549. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Page 1549. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we look at a passage from John chapter 16. We're going to look at it tonight, another part of it. John 16, turn a few pages back to 1538. John chapter 16. This is where Jesus says something very similar to what we just read in Acts chapter 1. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus has been telling his disciples that he's going to be leaving them soon. And he says this at John 16, verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, 
It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Then skip ahead to verse 13. Verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is, listen, from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Beloved, do you get the idea here? God the Father entrusted God the Son with the church, and now God the Son, after he made good on what was entrusted to him, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Now God the Son is entrusting the future of the church to the Holy Spirit. As he told his disciples, the Spirit is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And today is Pentecost. The day we celebrate as the day the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, did come to this earth. We read about it in the familiar Acts chapter 2, right? Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came down from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is. God, the Holy Spirit, is now entrusted with the future of the church. But the entrusting does not end there. You see, the Holy Spirit, in turn, entrusts the people, Christians, with church life, with how they get along with each other, how they come together to serve and to worship and to fellowship and to care for each other and to show benevolence and to learn the word, how they come together to, what's our vision? To reach out with the gospel and to renew our community, and to grow closer to Jesus. The Holy Spirit so fills the church that they very naturally do these things now. For example, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, page 1552. Acts chapter 2, verses 47, or 42 to 47. Familiar words there. Page 1552, you have... These, uh, this picture of the early church, and this is just days after the Holy Spirit of God was entrusted with its future, just days after the Holy Spirit of God filled them with himself. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And on the day of Pentecost alone, just so you know this, 3,000 were added to their number. That's a beautiful picture of church life. The church life that was entrusted by the Holy Spirit to the Christians. What else does he entrust? Gifts, spiritual gifts, right? Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, the two 12s. We, we read about how we are one body, many parts. 
and we all belong to each other. We each have different gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit, prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, gifts of healing, helping, guidance, and so on and so on. Gifts the Holy Spirit gave to the people in the church. And when the church is humming along on all eight cylinders, people are using their spirit-given giftedness to serve God. And church life deepens and grows while God is glorified and people are built up. The Holy Spirit entrusts church life to us by giving us gifts and love for each other, and service, and so on. And not only that, what about when there are problems in church life? What about when church life becomes a little, a little bumpy or even comes to a screeching halt? That's what happened early on in the early church, just weeks, months maybe, after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6, page 1557. 1557, just a few pages later there, Acts chapter 6. We're going to read that in a little bit. What we're going to read is something that happened when the word of God was spreading like wildfire. The gospel good news of Jesus dying and rising from the dead and bringing forgiveness and eternal life to all people. More and more people are believing in the one who made that all happen, the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are all new Christians back then, all new Christians. Some of them are from the Palestine area, right around Jerusalem. And they do everything in Hebrew or Aramaic. They're the true blue Jews. Now, there are some other Jews who were scattered, spent a lot of time further away from Jerusalem. They've been influenced by a bunch of Greeks. They all speak Greek at their worship services. They still like to say they're Jewish, but everyone knows they're maybe not as Jewish as the Hebrew Jews are, and that's all right. So already, very early on, even before the church started gobbling up Gentiles and non-Jews and converting them to Christ left and right, there were different groups of Jews within the church, and that's okay. But church life sometimes has to figure some things out when there are more and more people. And that's what happens here. Here comes the first problem within the church, right here in Acts 6. What's the problem? Well, there's the Hebrew Jews, and then there's the Greek Jews. And the NIV uses the term Hebraic, Hebrew, and Hellenistic, which means Greek. Either way is fine. Early church. And what's happening back then is that the 12 apostles are doing it all. And apparently when they pass out the food to the poor each day, and the poor were specifically the widows because they had no means to provide for themselves. It seems as if, at least according to the Hellenistic or the Greek Jews, that the Hellenistic Greek Jewish widows weren't receiving as much food as the Hebraic or Hebrew Jewish widows. Daily distribution of food, one group seems to get enough, another group doesn't get enough at all. And the Hellenistic Jews are complaining about it. Problems in the church. And now we see what happens. We see how the Holy Spirit entrusted church life to the people, Christians, the people of the church. It's as if the Holy Spirit is saying, look, you're now the church. Jesus 
through me, has put me in your heart to give you a whole new way to live. You've got that, so you need to figure this out. You've got a problem. You're the church. I entrust you with the task of figuring this little problem out. I entrust you with church life, congregational life. It's joys and it's concerns. But you've got me living in you. You can do it. You can fix this concern. Let's see what happens. Let's read it, Acts chapter 6, verse 7 verses. Maybe you read it already when I was rambling, right? In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, disciples, the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed, laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. So the complaint, the complaint from the Christian people goes to the apostles, and the apostles come up with a plan, and the plan is that the church, the people, all of them, not just the apostles, but the people, need to choose some of their own people to handle this. And the suggestion from the apostles is that the people they choose should be full of the spirit and wisdom. Notice it's the people. I think I've stressed it enough. It's the people who choose from their own people, the people who will take care of this problem. In other words, when it comes to church life, even with the concerns and with the difficulties, the Holy Spirit entrusts that church life to the people, entrusts them with the responsibility of figuring out a fix for the problem. And this makes sense, for the Holy Spirit lives in those very same people. They are walking a brand new life now, a spirit-filled life, and they can do it. It has been entrusted to the people to figure this out and make it work. So as we see, the people of the church are entrusted by the Holy Spirit with church life, but the entrusting does not end there. See, after all this, what these Christian people do they now put their plan into motion, and they do a great job. They chose seven people at the advice of the apostles in order to take care of this benevolent need that the widows have. Now, the writer Luke of Acts did not call these seven people deacons, but it seems as if this group of people in the early congregations eventually evolves, if you will, into the office of deacon. Again, these new Christian people, these new disciples, do a wonderful job putting their plan into motion. The Holy Spirit entrusted them with church life, and they're getting it done. They choose their seven, and from the looks of the names, they choose all Hellenistic-type Jews. Very wise on their part. The Hellenistic Jews were the ones who brought the complaint. 
Let's give them ownership. Let's validate them as true believers with us all. So the people, having been entrusted with the church life by the Holy Spirit, have made their choice and present the seven to the apostles who pray over them, lay hands on them, showing that these seven now have authority in the church. What is happening? The people are now entrusting leadership and authority to these, what we'll call office bearers, to these seven people, for all intents and purposes, they were office bearers, just like the apostles were office bearers. And of course, now we have office bearers that we call elders and deacons. And the people of the church, you entrust them with leadership and authority. These are our servant leaders. Just like the people of the early church, those new Christians entrusted, spirit-filled, wise, faithful people with the servant leadership responsibilities of the church. That's exactly what we do today. We elect office bearers into servant leadership roles with servant leadership responsibilities. The spirit-filled church does that. Having been entrusted by the Holy Spirit with church life, the believers, the people, then entrust leadership to spirit-filled servant leaders. Now, don't get me wrong. God ordains, God installs these servants, and God gives them their authority. But as a church, as believers, as people of God, as spirit-filled disciples, you've chosen these men this year to servant leadership, to lead, to lead with authority. You've entrusted them to lead as servants of God, presented them, as it were, from amongst yourselves as your leaders. The very natural responsibility for these men that follows then is for them to take these servant tasks so seriously. For not only are they appointed by God, but you are counting on them. You, congregation, the people of the church, are expecting them to take that office seriously as you entrust leadership to them. You expect them to realize again the call to serve, to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you, led by them, can minister as best you can to our congregation and to our community. I'm sure your advice to them, congregation, then, is to keep God's word close to them, that they read their Bibles and pray and pray for hearts of compassion and minds filled with wisdom, that they pray for a deep, deep love for God's people because God loved all of us first. So you've entrusted authority and leadership to these office bearers, but the entrusting does not stop there because you know what? They can't do it alone. They need you right back at you. They need you to support them. So they, in turn, as servant leaders, entrust you with the responsibility of supporting them, sustaining them in prayer, encouraging them with words and notes. As servant leaders with authority, they will be assailed by Satan, who desires that they, what? Slack off. That they get cynical, that they forget to love, forget to pray, 
forget to read God's word. They need you, beloved church, to support them, especially with your prayers. They can't do their tasks without them. The Apostle Paul knew this. He, as the missionary leader of so many early congregations, over and over again, entrusted the people of the churches he planted with the task of praying for him. He said that in so many places, pray for us, pray for me, pray for us, pray for me. He said that in Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 6, Philippians 1, Colossians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, Philemon, verse 22. And whether Paul wrote it or not, Hebrews 13. And of course, 1 Timothy 2, where Paul entrusts his readers to pray for all leaders. So your office bearers entrust right back to you the church, the responsibility of your prayer support for them, even as they pray for you and serve you. From God the Father, to God the Son, to God the Holy Spirit, to his beloved church, to office bearers, and then back to his beloved church. We are entrusted, entrusted by none other than God himself. And he will always be faithful to us. And he desires that we be faithful too. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for all the entrusting that you do, Father to Son, to Holy Spirit, to church. And we're thankful that you include us in on that. Of course, led the whole way by the Holy Spirit, we know that. But then we entrust leadership and authority to our leaders, our servant leaders. And then they ask, they entrust the responsibility of prayer support right back to us, the church. Our Father, we pray that we would be faithful. We know you will be faithful. We know you will always be faithful to your church. And we pray that as your church, as office bearers in it, as your church, we will be faithful first and foremost to you and then faithful to one another, our brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.